How many of you sense something different in the air this morning? Come on. Some of you, it's been so long you don't know what that is or who that is. It's called the Holy Spirit. And God is going to break off of some of you this morning before this morning is up. God is going to deal with some issues in your life that you didn't think He could deal with. Some of you have come into this room this morning honestly believing that your problems, your situation is greater than the cross of Calvary. I've got news for you. That's a lie. The cross is greater than your problem. And I declare it to you in the name of Jesus that Jesus wants you to know the lies that are in your head are going to be dissolved in His name this morning as He has been lifted up. Man, I'm telling you, you cannot, unless you're just absolutely spiritually dead, when we were singing for you, have highly exalted. He's highly exalted. The God Himself has exalted Jesus Christ. And I want you to know we're going to continue to exalt Him this morning. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you would. Kind of getting all situated here. I've got enough notes to go till Tuesday at 3. But I won't do that because we are going to get to some, we're going to get to some, what I call the candy today. We're going to, we're going to eat a little bit of the squash and then we're going to get to the candy. Or in my case, we're going to eat a little of the green beans. Oof. Necessary but ugly. Psalms 103. We're going to read a lot of scripture. Got John on just playing as we read because I want the I want the scripture to be what's elevated today. I don't want what's what I say to be elevated. I want what the scripture says, what the word of God says to be elevated. And by the way, I just want to take this before I go any further because I want to make sure you understand it. I love it when our family's together. As a dad, there's nothing greater to me and to Elizabeth is when our three girls and our two son-in-laws and our three grandkids, it's just us and we're together. Of course, it's never just us because we, we have, you know, we have extras. That's okay. But there's nothing more pleasing, nothing more gratifying to me than to have all my babies under one roof and us just hanging out together. Well, I want to tell you, and I don't know if, it, you know, it's been, it's hard to express this because some of you don't understand it. But about eight months ago, God gave me a new baby. It was called Family Bible Church. It's now part of True Life Church. And I want you to know something. I'm happy when we're together. The Lord is pleased when we come together. Amen. And we're going to grow both sides, but there's just, Treat these moments that we're together as moments where God is going to speak to us together as a family. God's going to motivate us together. We're going to pray for one another. and We're going to love on one another. And we're going to see Jesus pleased with how we respond to one another. Amen? Psalms 103, beginning with verse 1. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. I want you to just stop and do that. I want you to just bless the Lord. Come on, bless the Lord. Come on, just bless the Lord. Say, God, I bless you. My mind, my will, and emotions just bless you this morning. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Everybody say benefits. Who forgives 
all. Everybody say all your iniquities. The word iniquity, iniquitous there, means something that has been bent by an outside force. How many of you know that there are times in our lives things were done to us or we did things repeatedly that brought a bending in our life, brought a curvature to the spine, if I can say, of our life, to where we were bent over, we were hurting. That's iniquity. When someone does something to you or you repeatedly do the same thing over and over and over again, it's different than a transgression. A transgression is just flat out breaking the law. Transgression says, up your nose, God, I'm going to go for it, I don't care what you say. Iniquity begins to happen when, when you know, there's, there's a lot of abused children in this room. You see, what do you mean? The kids went that way. No. In this room this morning, right here, there's a lot of abused kids. You say, what do you mean? Some of you, the iniquity started when somebody sexually abused you as a child. Now, I'm going right after stuff right from the get-go. You can tell. I'm not holding back. We're just going to go jump right into it because the Holy Spirit is going to guide this this morning. Here's the deal. I want you to know Jesus knew beforehand and He's already forgiven all of your iniquities. Say, wait a minute, something was done to me. But choices had to be made by you afterwards. And they weren't made by you as a child. They weren't made by you necessarily as a teenager. But when you became an adult, the Bible says, Paul says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. When you got older, you had to realize there was choices to make. That you could be a victim or you could be a victor. You could overcome or you could wallow in it. And I want you to know Jesus has forgiven all, everybody say all, of your weird bends. He's forgiven all of my weird bends. All of those things, those iniquitous bends, He's forgiven. And He heals all of my diseases. You need to say all again. All of my diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. i got good news for you. This morning, when you got up this morning, when your eyes popped open and that alarm was going off and the coffee was brewing, the minute you're, before your feet hit the floor, the Bible tells me that His mercy today is brand new. Yesterday was yesterday. Today, His mercies are brand new. Wow. Big time wow. Amen. Who... Who satisfies your mouth with good things. I want to attack this right off with, a, with, with just, I help you understand something. Some of you have a bad taste in your mouth. You got a bad taste in your mouth about church. You got a bad taste in your mouth about pastors. You got a bad taste in your mouth about parents. You've got a bad taste in your mouth about your spouse or ex-spouse. You got a bad taste in your mouth about a teacher. You've got a bad taste in your mouth. Somebody has done some stuck something in your mouth that's left a bad taste. I want you to know this morning, Jesus Himself is inviting you to taste and to see that the Lord is good and that everything He brings will satisfy your mouth. It will be good to your taste buds. It will be like dark chocolate Royale. 
pudding that's creamy and just kind of oozes into your mouth and brings out a shundai. It will be good to your taste buds. You need to understand something. It's not a joke when it says He will satisfy the taste of your mouth. Because it's your taste that's been getting you in trouble. Some of you got taste for really cruddy things. And the devil's convinced you that, you know, that... I don't know about you, but I think one of the nastiest vegetables ever created on God's... I don't even like to say green herb. is green beans. And the way the enemy messes with me is... I hate green beans bring a gag reflex to me, man. I will blow chunks over green beans. It is nasty. But here's the deal. Let's use that for an example. The enemy tries to convince me that green beans are Ghirardelli's. Or actually, my favorite chocolate of all, this is going to sound really cheap, but give me a bag, a three-pound bag, Costco-sized bag of Nestle Toll House morsels. Send me to the corner and leave me alone. But the enemy tries to convince me that the things that I hate The green beans of my life are chocolate. And God says, no, wait a second. I want to heal your taste buds. Paul put it this way in Romans 7. He says, the things that I hate, those are the things that I do. And the things that I want to do, those are the things I don't do. He says, what's going to happen to me? And Romans 8, 1 says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who walk according to the Spirit and not according to the... See what I'm saying to you? God wants to fix and satisfy your mouth so that your youth... Come on, everybody over 50, hear this. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Everybody over 12, hear this. So that your youth is renewed. There's, there's old 18-year-olds in this room this morning. You've had stuff done to you. You've done stuff and you've gotten old beyond, beyond your years. I want to tell you in a moment, there's a Jesus coming your way who's the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Kings. And He wants to renew your innocence. He wants to re- Let me tell you something. He wants to renew your virginity. He wants to renew you and renew your youth like an eagle's. He wants to change you. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all. Everybody say all who are oppressed. There are people in this room that are oppressed. I want you to go to Psalms 124. Don't you love the word? Psalms 124. Man, I just feel a lifting. You're going to be ready to hear the the word of the Lord this morning as the word is being spoken this morning. Psalms 124, verse 7. I used to sing this as a kid. My mama taught me this this little ditty. And we used to sing it all the time. And it's this. Our soul... Has, how many of you remember this little old song? Man, we used to sing it all the time. My soul has escaped like a bird out of the snare of the fowler. The snare is broken. Woo, do you hear it? The snare is broken. And we, us, have escaped. And our help is in the name of of the Lord. I want everybody to just say the name Jesus. Come on. Just say the name Jesus. Your help is in the name of the Lord. Now, let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 4. You're going to go, what in the world? These don't even go together. You're not hermeneutically, systematically 
uh, cryogenically doing this right, well, don't you worry about the Holy Spirit's going to come and reveal this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 4. Begin verse 2. Now Saul's son, remember this is King Saul, the number, the first king of Israel, had two men who were captains of troops. The name of one was, I like to call him Banana, but it's Bana. And the name of the other was Rechab, the sons of Rimon, the big word, big word, and also part of Benjamin, because the big word fled to the big word, and have been sojourners from there until this day. Don't worry. A lot of people, they try to pronounce these things. Listen, you're not Hebrew. You know, you're Oregonian, Washingtonian, you know, you can't help that. But, you know, don't worry about the, just go big word and move on. Get the meat. Verse 4, Jonathan, who is David's best friend, Saul's son had a son who was lame in his feet. And he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. The news was that they were dead. They'd been killed. Came, and his nurse took him up and fled And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Jump over to chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. The word of the Lord is coming to you this morning. I'm telling you, the word of the Lord is coming to you. Man, I had the weirdest thing happen. I haven't even talked. I'm not going to go into the details, but I'm just telling you, I was driving home last night. I was in myself in the car. I had my worship music up. I hadn't been able to concentrate all day yesterday. I couldn't. I, I was just this. This thing was sitting in my brain. This morning was all over me, and I'm driving home. And and and, and you got to understand, this is a weird day that we're doing this for me. This is a strange day. Year ago, this day, my dad went to be with Jesus. I held his hand as he breathed his last breath. And I'm driving home last night, and I was just recollecting all that, and the word of the Lord began to come to me about me. And I'll just tell you one little bit of it, because it's very personal, but I want you to hear this. Many times we think that we're done. That the circumstances of our life has made it so, you know what, this is as good. You ever felt this is as good as it gets? And I'm driving in the car, and I, I'm not going to say it's audible, but as clear as I'm talking to you, God says, your appointment is still to come. Your days, and, and I, re, I, I recollected back to what the prophet had said over Elizabeth and I, that the, our latter years would be greater than, you know, I figured it out Why? God's waiting for me to grow up. Come on. Now look at 2 Samuel. God's coming this morning. God's going to touch you. I declare it in the name of Jesus over every demon in hell, over principality and power. God wants to open his heaven over the church in Portland and Vancouver. You know what? God's moving in Seattle. I cannot believe what God is doing in, in, in north of us. In, in a very wicked city, God is moving. Well, guess what? We're next. And I think it's time for us to understand Jesus is above every principality and power. He's above everything that's happened to you. He's above everything that is happening to you. And He can restore anything in your life. Aren't you glad? You know, I, I was listening this morning. I, I, I almost 
threatened to play it. But I was listening to Misty Edwards this morning. I got a, a little clip that was sent to me from the prayer room just recently. And she's just, she's just talking. And she's talking about how that God, you're not surprised by our sin. You're not surprised by anything we do. It doesn't change your heart. You're still in love with us. You still have a plan. And you're romancing me. You're going after me. You're loving me. You're wooing me. You are Lord. I'm going to tell you something. For some of you this morning, you are this lame guy. You're Mephibosheth. You've been broke by somebody else's mistakes. But I got, listen, what's about to happen. Check this out. Look at 2 Samuel 9. David said, is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And when they called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he says, at your service. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I could show the kindness of God. And I want you to know something. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says that the kindness of God leads to repentance. God's not here to belt you one. God's here to love you one. Amen. He's here to put you in His arms. And He wants you to know His goodness is going to bring you to the point of repentance. Now look at what He says. And He says, yep, there's the son of Jonathan who's lame in his feet. So the king said to me, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of a big word, the son of another big word, in Lobadar. And King David sent and brought him out of the house of Micah in the big word. And now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth, what are you doing? And he answered, here is your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And will restore, listen to this, and will restore to you all, all the land of... God wants to restore everything. Not just a little bit of your life. He wants to put it all back together. He says, I'll restore all. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, Who, what is your servant? That you should look at this. Look at what he thinks about himself. That you should look upon such a dead dog as I. Nothing was nastier to a Hebrew than a dead animal. They practiced cleanness by never touching a dead animal. And, and Mephibosheth says, well, I'm a just nothing but a dead dog. Why are you showing me this kindness? And the king called the Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. Wow. How many of you would like somebody to go to work for you tomorrow? I'm serious. How would you like somebody to come to your house tomorrow and say, just go ahead, stay in bed. I'm going to work for you today. Anybody? Nobody wants to do that. I was going to do that for some of you. No, no. No, Wouldn't that be cool? Well, here is King David saying, listen, Ziba, come here. You are going to work for for Mephibosheth and you're you're going to work for him that your master's son may have food to eat but Mephibosheth, your master's son, he's not going to eat at the, at the table of his own house. He's going to eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, so that's a lot of workers. And Ziba said to the king, according to all that the Lord the king has commanded his servant, so you, will your servant do. And Mephibosheth said to the king, he shall eat at my... Look at this. Wow, do you get this? He shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons 
Dead dog. We're going to call him dead dog today. Dead dog, by his own mouth, is coming. And David says, you're sitting at my table today. In fact, the rest of your life, you just stick. Look, look at what he said. Look at, the, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table. And he was lame in both feet. You know what the picture I have is? Here's his table. And here sits all the sons of David. And here's here's Mephibosheth. He's just fitting in. And guess what you see at a table? You only see from the waist up. You don't see the lameness of Mephibosheth's feet. He's sitting at the table like one of the guys. He might be lame in his feet, but David says, you park it at my table. And once your feet go under my table, you're no longer dead dug, dead dog, but you are one of my sons. Now, go to Matthew chapter 8. We're almost done with We say, man, there's a lot of Scripture. I think the Scripture will do more for you than what i got to say. Matthew chapter 8. You ready to be taught? About 25 minutes from now, some of you are going to experience deliverance. I'm telling you, I just want to get that in your head. Some of you are going to be healed. Some of you are going to be changed by the power of God. Some of you are going to weep tears of repentance. Some of you are going to say, you know what? I am getting on board with what God's doing. I'm done with my, with my passive, passive life. Now look at, look at Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. And when evening had come, they brought to Him, speaking of Jesus, many who were demon-possessed. And He cast out the spirits. Check this out. With a word. Wow. With a word. He cast out the spirits with a word and healed all. Everybody say all who were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He himself took our iniquities and he himself bore our sickness. Go to 3 John. 3 John. That's way in the back. It's, it's toward page 1004.1. It's way in the back. 3 John. Verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you might prosper in all things and be in health, even as your mind, your will, and your emotions, which is your soul, even as your mind, your will, and your emotions, prosper. Jesus, I ask that you would come now and you would begin to bring total clarity to this Word. God, that you would allow me to only say the things that are pleasing to You and what You want said. Holy Spirit, right now we make ourselves interruptible to You. King of kings and Lord of lords, Head of the church, we come to You as Your body and we ask that we would be connected to You today. That our motions, our responses would come from You, Jesus. We ask this in Your name. Amen and amen. Thanks, John. Isn't he cute? Thank you, buddy. Sit down. You can quit. You can stop now. <laughs> yes, all right. <laughs> I love it. You are single, right? Okay, just come on.
That, there's those in this house may go, wow, that's good. <laughs> Let's look at the times we're in. You cannot get up every morning and read the newspaper or turn on the radio without hearing that there's a great health care debate going on in our, in our nation. I believe in doctors. I believe in nurses. I believe in the medical practices. I believe that God has given us intelligence as human beings on how to deal with our bodies. I think it is absolutely irresponsible for anybody to tell you to never go to a doctor that Jesus is just going to take care of you. That's irresponsible because God has given doctors. God has given nurses. He's given medicines. I mean, this, everything that's on this planet, He gave to us. Okay? And, and here's the deal. There's a health care debate raging. The problem is it's not really about health care. It's about something even darker and more sinister, and that's not the point this morning. The point is this. Fear has gripped the heart of this nation. It was deliberately done because, let me tell you something, when people are in fear, they can be controlled. When people are afraid, they can be controlled. I think it's detestable and wrong. But here's the deal. The minute that debate started, there's a little bit of quickening, should have been a quickening in the heart of the body of Christ. Because here's the deal. Some of you might be afraid, oh my goodness, my Medicare, my Medicaid won't be there when it's done. How will I get to the doctor? There's still one more option when all else has failed. And the church needs to start echoing that and speaking it in this, into the world right now. Is that okay, we believe in doctors and we need nurses and we need our medications and we need all that. But what happens when they don't work anymore? What happens when you can't get to your bottle of medication? What happens when you can't afford it no more? you going to call the president and he's going to show up and heal you? No. But the Bible says call upon him while he's near. The Bible says if I ask anything in his name it shall be done. The church has so gotten into its brain that the culture is what's going to save them. And Jesus stands so far away from the culture saying, wait a second, I'm for you, not against you. And you know what? Inside the church, there needs to be something rise up and say, we're for the world. We are for medicine. We're for doctors. But when it's all done, Jesus can change our lives. The reality of the power of Jesus Christ is where our faith ultimately lays. God is calling us to understand the healing life and power that is available through His Son, Jesus. In Exodus chapter 15, if you want to turn there, as just a quick reference point. God has called us into a healing relationship. As we finish this series in bringing both campuses together today, as, as we looked at this in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, this morning we're dealing with contending for healing and deliverance. Brian, how many of you know felt Brian did just he did was that great on finances last week and Pastor Elizabeth spoke a great word to us about the family and Jennifer. Man, I, did, I now that I know she can do that well, she's on bat, uh, up to bat a lot more. Amen. Yeah. Okay, Jen, I don't think they liked you. I, I don't know. She's oh she's a my granddaughter hauled her off to the nursery. Isn't that neat? Exodus 15:26. There, Israel's in a problem. They're without some water. And when they, when Israel, their whole thing was, when things didn't work out for them, they start griping. 
Sound familiar? And so they're griping, they're complaining, verse 24. They're asking Moses, what are we going to drink? It's kind of their miniature health care debate. What's going to happen, Moses, when we run out of water? What's going to happen if, if what the naysayers happen and we run out of doctors? What's going to happen when my medicine runs out? And let me tell you something. Maybe you need to have some wisdom and store up your medicine. I don't know. But what happens? What are we going to do when all else, there's nothing else left available? And Moses cries out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And we cast it into the waters. The waters were made sweet. And there he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. Everybody say tested. And said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you, which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now I want to make a couple of distinctions here real quick. You notice the phrase there of the diseases that he brought on the Egyptians. The plagues had come on the Egyptians simply because of their own stubborn refusal to heed the voice of the Lord. And so God has committed Himself to us on terms of love and not law. Now I really want to get that in your mind because some of you, I know on the South Campus that they've had some very good teaching over the years on the difference between love and law. The law is not going to do anything for you. Love fulfills the law, but the law can do nothing for you. And one of the things that happens as people read this, because they read it and it says, if we diligently heed the voice of the Lord and do what's right in His sight and give ears to command, I'll never be sick. That's not what it's saying. That's not what it's saying. It says, listen, if you'll listen to me, if you'll listen to me, I'm not going to put on you what's happening around you. I'm not going to put that on you if you'll listen to me. I think, I think sometimes, you know, I, I remember going into Africa and, and I'd gone to the, we, we, the organization we had, we had a doctor that we'd go to and, you know, they give you all the shots and, you know, I, I, I'd been through it several times now and, and you get all the shots and you do all that stuff and, and, you know, and you're sick for a couple, three weeks and they give you more shots. And so you're all done with the shots. My little grandson, Malachi, will tell you. I say, Malachi, are you getting ready to go back to Africa? Nope. And I'll say, dude, what, what, why not? Why, don't, don't you want to go back? Too many shots. I agreed with him. So, you know, and I got all the pills and, you know, you get all the antibiotics. And, you know, I mean, when we got on the plane, I had my, all my stuff, you know. And as I, I leave in the doctor's office, I said, Dr. Chris, is there anything truly, is this really going to help me? He says, nah, not really. I said, what's the one thing that will help me? He says, wash your hands every 15 minutes. Guess what? I was the weirdo, quote unquote, with pockets full of Perel bottles. Walking around, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. You shake somebody's hand. I was rude about it. You know, guess what? Everybody else was sick. Not moi. Because my boss had gone to the same country I was in. I was in Ethiopia at the time. And he'd been told, don't eat nothing that you don't know what it is. 
And he just chowed down, and for two years he almost died due to the amoebas that were in his body because he didn't listen to the instructions given him. And the doctor said, wash your hands. And I'm a freak about doctors and, you know, instructions. I mean, I washed more of my hands, clear to my elbows, face. I mean, I was not... How many of you understand? If you listen, you walk in health. Come on. But let me tell you something. God doesn't heal us because we do certain things. The Scripture says at verse 26, For I am the Lord who heals. I am Jehovah Rapha. I'm the Lord who heals. And here's the deal. We need to distinguish between the covenant of healing and the gift of healing. He heals us because He loves us. Not because we do certain things. If that was the case, then there would be this big disparity in who gets healed and who doesn't. Let me tell you something. Rich people get sick and poor people get sick. What's the, what's the deal? The deal is it's not about the law. It's about love. Okay? And distinguishing between the covenant of healing and the gift of healing. There is a covenant that we walk with in God that we may, we, God has made this covenant through His Son Jesus Christ that when He took our sins to the cross, He also took everything else that was of the devil to the cross with Him and shed His blood. And on the third day when He rose again, He left that garbage in hell where it started. However, that's the covenant of healing, but there are also times where the gift of healing displays itself. Now, most of our culture is more about the gift than the covenant. Because we rush off to the latest meetings where the gift is being displayed without realizing, as a person, I can walk in covenant with God. Walk in agreement. Let me tell you something. There's people in this room, you got a stomachache right now because you got bitterness in your life. Some of you got muscle aches and cramps and you're bent over like this because you haven't forgiven the person that hurt you. And you can't walk in covenant unless you're willing to do what the covenant says. Well, how can I do that? It's called grace. Grace helps me perform those things I cannot in my own self perform. You follow me? When God commits Himself through love such as in healing, it becomes a way of health, not just about getting healed. I, I, I think it's funny. We're so sheepish. Ish, ish. You know, Jesus said you're sheep. If, if, you're, if you're an animal person this morning... Don't feel proud that God called Jesus, called you sheep. On the intelligence scale of animals, sheep aren't up there very high. I had a sheep pasture right across from me in Junction City where we lived. We lived out in the farming community. And I would sit for hours and watch these creatures. They were fascinating. Because Jesus said we like sheep. We're like sheep. The sheep know my voice. I'm thinking, wow, that's such a profound scripture. I'm watching these sheep. 
I don't watch the owner come out. And this one, I guess she was the female sheep. She had to be. I mean, well, she had little sheepies following her around. And here's this whole huge pasture out there. But right outside the barbed wire fence was some different kind of, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And this dumb sheep, it'd get there and it'd get all twisted in the barbed wire and start bleeding everything. And you'd see the guy slam the door and come out and he's saying words that weren't righteous. And, you know, you stupid. And he'd pull the wire apart, yard the sheep out, give it a kick in the butt and off he'd go. Ten minutes later, here she comes. Blood dripping off her neck. She's going to have snack. So if you're here and you're going, wow, we're like sheep. Don't get too excited. It wasn't, I don't think, meant as a compliment. But it becomes healing becomes a way of life. It's about connecting to the life and the flow of the healer. And sometimes... We in our sheepishness, we think it's about what we do. When Jesus says, if you'll just follow me, if you'll walk with me, you're going to live in health. Now, now, does that mean I'm not going to get a cold? Or Friends, you live on a diseased planet. You're in a, the only time that disease and sickness is going away, friends, is when Jesus is back in charge, which will be soon, back in charge of this planet, ruling and reigning through His body. Now, let me tell you something. A lot of people in here go, ah, I don't believe in that. Keep watching. He's a-coming. Now, look at this. I am. He says, I am the God who He is. Whenever God uses the term I am. He is calling attention to His timelessness, His self-completeness, His self-initiating love, everything that flows from His being. He says, listen, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. If I told Moses and these people that I'm the God that heals you, it's going to apply to 2009, October 25. It's going to apply right to that moment that I'm the same yesterday, today, Day and forever. I'm the God who heals you. He re- His revelation to Israel as the I am has more to do with the deep sickness of the soul than it did with actual physical illness. Because they weren't physically ill when He said this. You know what they were? They were spiritually ill. They were griping. They were complaining. They were kicking over the can, throwing a fit. We, you know, I mean, these are people, friends, who watch the Red Sea go whoop, depart, and they walk over in dry land. Pharaoh's chasing them, and God says, watch this, and the water's closed. Their enemies float away. Fish food, done. These are people that every morning they get up. And they don't even have to go to the grocery store. They just step outside the tent and manna oatmeal is ready to go. And all this manna stuff, every day their needs are met. But the first moment, now check this out, the first moment it looks like there's no water, oh man, there's heck to pay. They're on the phone. Pastor Moses, yes. What can I do for you? I think we're out of water. And I don't know why you brought us on this stupid trip. We told you from the very get-go. About that time he gets that cell, his other phone rings. I mean, he's got about ten cell phones. He's got to be. He's Moses. 
Yeah, I think we're out of water. And I think your leadership is terrible. In fact, if there was another church to go to in this wilderness, I'd go. But since there's not, I'm going to gripe. Moses is distraught. In fact, this keeps up throughout the whole journey to the point where most, God, they, you think, they get God upset. And one day God comes to Moses and says, I've had it up to my royal head. Tomorrow, charred. There will be nothing left, Moses. I don't know why. What I had in my brain, in my eternal mind, thinking that these people would be my people, they're just, they're just goofy, Moses, so I'm going to kill them. And the Bible says Moses comes out with intercession. He starts to intercede on their behalf. And God says, yeah, you're right. But then later down the road, Moses is back. Hello, God, uh, back to that former offer. Because they're griping, they're complaining. Let me tell you something. They weren't sick yet. And God steps in and says, listen, I'm the God that heals you. What was he saying? Listen, you've got a deeper sickness than if you don't go without water. Because you have a sickness of the soul. That is messing you up. You're griping. You're complaining. Now there are people in this room this morning. The reason you're not being healed of maybe a long going illness is you're ticked off at God. You're mad at God. And you you, you got to listen to yourself speak. How's it going? I'm fine. But, you know, I don't understand why I don't have. Here it goes. Why I don't have this, this, and this, and some, that they over there have it. I mean, Gary and Arlinda have it. How come I don't have it? I mean, Dittlemore's have it. How come I don't have it? I mean, for crying out loud, look at the Roscoe's. They have it. I mean, if God will give somebody from South Carolina this, why won't he give it to me? What's wrong with God? And they just, they, you, 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 when you go away from him, you're, you're needing therapy. I mean, you just, you're just looking through the yellow pages going, I need a therapist because I can't take this. But when you get down right to it, they were mad at God. And God says, listen, I am, I'm, I am and I want to deal with, your, with, first of all, human habits that tend to respond neg- negatively to anything that tries or tests them. Where in Christianity did we get this stupid idea that no bad things are ever going to happen to us? That's only an American version of the Bible. Yes. See, I know for a fact, because I think, Gary, you built churches in Samoa, correct? I know for a fact that some Christian Samoans had to deal with a tsunami just recently. Hello. So do you think they have a right to complain? Man, our coffee pot don't work. Our washer quits. Our car gets less gas mileage this month than it did last month. And we're all pastor, you got to pray. We're going under. The coffee pot's not working. The washer's broke. And, oh, the kids are playing in the dryer. They broke it. This is terrible. What you don't realize 
is somewhere a couple thousand miles away, somebody gets up that morning and is happy for a piece of bread. Come on. So when God says, I'm the God that heals you, the first thing in Jesus, this was a pattern for Jesus every time He healed. Somewhere in that process, He would say, your sins be forgiven you. He was always more concerned about the soul than He was the body. We tend to look for help in the wrong direction. That's why we gripe. We look for help over here. That don't work. We look for help. And these people were good at it. Pretty soon they'd, they'd find a golden calf. Let's try that one. When God says to them, I'm the healer, it is not a moment of physical pain, but in a moment when their attitude is bad because He wanted to reveal their heart. The bitter water exposed a heart prone to bitterness. Now, I'm about to say... Everybody... Just put on your spiritual belt buckle. Come on. Snap it on. Got it all tight. Now I want everybody to say this. I love you, Pastor. And I forgive you. Just getting it out of the way. Because here it comes. I'm talking to you as a whole church. Bad thing. How many of you would really like to see your church be a whole, healthy, functioning body like God's intended for the church to be in this area. Come on, let me see your hands. Then quit your bitterness. Well, you know, this happened and this happened and we had to do this and this broke and that broke and this happened and we lost this building. We lost this pastor. We lost this thing. This thing happened. This thing happened. This thing happened. What happened to Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Let's all worship. Yeah, we're going to worship. But you don't know what happened in worship before. It said, oh, and this happened, and this person played this song, and it was this song. And it was... You know, and... Oh, it got quiet in here. I love it when it gets quiet, because that means, ooh, you ticked them off. Praise God. I didn't come to tickle your ears. I may rip one off once in a while, but I didn't come to tickle them. I'm telling you. Now listen, I'm talking to the whole church. What's past has got to stay in the past. Oh no, you didn't hear me. You don't get it. You can say yes with your mouth. I'm talking about saying yes with your mind, your will, and your emotion. I, I'm going to just say it. I do not care what happened in the past. Oh, okay, let me try it again. I'll try Chinese. No. I, you're not getting it. The church will never be whole, will never be healed until you deal with forgiveness. I was reading early this morning from one of my favorite authors, by the name of, a man by the name of Francis Frangipane. And I was reading from Francis this morning. He said that he was talking about what does a church do when leaders fail them. He says, first of all, you need to explain to the church that leaders are people too. I know it's a novel revelation to you. Seriously, 
I walk to my car, I put my keys in the car, and the engine starts just like yours. When I go home, I do the same things that you do. I don't fly around my house in a, in a glory cloud. I thumb through the same channels you do. I put up a wi- with a wife just like some of you guys do. Come on, come on, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. And when I'm close to God, that's when it goes off. Yeah, 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 yeah. America is so goofy when it comes to pastors and leaders. It's amazing to me. Well, do you know what happened to so-and-so? I don't care. Don't gossip to me. Don't fill my ears with the garbage of somebody else. You know what? You know what has to happen in the church right now concerning leaders? Let me just teach this principle. I, I, I don't know if the whole church has got it, but I'm going to teach it right now. This is a little bunny trail. We're going to go down a bunny trail for a minute. Okay, we'll get back to healing. Let's go down the bunny trail. Here's the deal. You need to leave the leaders to God. Am I, am I talking truth here? You need to leave the leaders to God and you need to get before your face and ask God for forgiveness on how you felt. Let me tell you something. If you felt wrongly about a leader who has failed you, you need to ask God's forgiveness for getting your feathers out of a ruffle and get you don't know how bad it was. Oh, bet me! I've walked in your shoes too. I've had people lie, cheat, steal, try to commit murder, literally. And every I've had people stand two feet in front of me telling me I'm going to kill you if I ever get a chance. And you know what? I can go, you know what? I'm done with ministry forever. Or I can get on my face and say, God, do something in me. Change me so that no matter what goes on, we keep trucking for you, Jesus. So I, before this morning's over, we're going to be praying for, for people in this room that you can't somehow get past the past i've got good news for you he is the god who heals you he's the god who sets you free he's the god that changes everything and you know what you say well does that mean the leader gets away with it let me tell you something if you were in the leader's shoes would you want mercy oh really well james writes these nasty little words in James chapter dose 2 that says when you show mercy the law of Christ is released but when you don't show mercy (laughs) you get treated just like you treated that person how many of you need some healing already (laughs) Uh huh. Okay, I love you, Pastor. I'm wounded, but I'll heal. <laughs> ready to get to the good stuff? Isaiah 53. We're almost ready to land this plane. Isaiah 53. How did sickness get here? Romans 5.12 tells us that through one man sin entered the world. 
Sickness and disease is not a God invention. I unequivocally tell you by the authority of the Word of God, sickness and disease is of the devil. 100%. Isaiah 53 tells me in verse 4 that he was wounded. He's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Every time I missed the mark, Jesus took those wounds. He was bruised for the bendings in my life, the bent places of my life, the dings, the dents, the bends, the hurts, the pains. He was literally bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace. What does that mean? You ever try to fix yourself by saying, I'm going to be better. And you start this crazy discipline of yourself and you beat yourself down and you try to bring yourself under submission of the Holy Spirit. And the next thing you know, you're doing the same thing that you didn't want to do and there's no peace in your life. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus took your beating. He took the chastisement of your life upon Him so that you can walk out of here this morning in peace. And then Isaiah drops the bomb. He says, and by His stripes, you're healed. Now listen. Disease entered by sin and its true remedy can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. You need to know that the devil is the oppressor. And when sickness has advanced beyond the power of nature, which is, how many of you know, your body has built in abilities to heal itself. A a doctor that's a good doctor recognizes that. I've had good doctors in my life. I've had not so good doctors. Ones that I had to share with. You're fired. And go find another one. The ones that were the best ones were the ones that understood how the body, not, not their little concoctions, but how the body heals itself. Your body has, by nature, healing attributes in it. Guess who put those there? God did. But when it becomes beyond nature to heal your body, beyond medicine to heal your body, there is still one option left, and that is Jesus Christ. He has the power to heal. Now, you need to understand, you know, there's going to be those, there's wrong doctrine thinking that, well, a Christian then should probably, if that's true, you could never die. No, that's not true. Ecclesiastes tells us, Psalms tells us, Exodus tells us, Scriptures, I could give you tons of Scriptures that tell us that you you, you have two things going on here. You have what we call 70 years plus or less, however your appointments are made out, but there is an appointment already set in the heavenlies that you're going to die. You're going to die. Just turn to your neighbor and say, there's a day coming, I'm going to die. That should lift you up. (laughs) Now that we're thoroughly depressed, let's move on. Therapy will be in the hallway afterwards. But here's the deal. We all have an appointment.
to die. That, from the time of birth to when that appointment comes, you're involved in a holy internship. How you live those years, whether few or many, is what... And and here's the deal. There are people, I've seen it happen, there are people literally that die before their appointment. That's why what's important about healing. I know that one day I'm going to pass away. Unless Jesus comes, then, whoo, that'd be cool. But here's the deal. One day I'm going to die. But I don't want to die. See, this is, this is where the difference between the church and culture comes into place. I don't, I've told, she says, you know, you got people, you know, and that, that, that's your choice. You know, DNRs, you know, do not resuscitate. You know, I used to, used to work in the medical field. I understand this stuff. We were discussing it, my wife and I, one day. She says, do you think, you think you, I, you, do you want to get a DNR? I looked at her, I said, if I'm plugged into something, keep your hands away from the plug. She looked at me and said, I will go when God says it's time for me to go. Keep your stinking hands away from the wall socket. I'm a firm believer I have an appointment. And I don't want the devil messing with my appointment. I want to finish the race that he set me to run. Therefore, when sick, we got to do something about it. And if it is my time, I believe there will be the peace of the Spirit of God. And I say this with all sincerity. A week ago, last year on a Saturday... I'd gone up to I'd gone up to go to a football game and I was always I was up to see my dad about every two or three days because my dad was dying and I walked into his room and he was getting disoriented and the 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 the, the kidney dialysis wasn't working and I and, and I'll never forget us talking and he finally I he I said Dad I you know I'm just kind of struggling with all this and he looks at me and says my future is bright son. What was going on? He realized he'd finished the race. The appointment was up. And he was literally starting. You'd look in his eyes and he wasn't there. What was going on? He was following what was coming into his room. And that was the Prince of Peace. When my dad died, it wasn't bummer. It was like my hands were... You can ask her. I had my hands in the air. All the rest of us, we were praising God. Why? His appointment was up. It was over. You know why we were excited? Because it's appointed unto us once to die and after that the judgment. And I've already got my lawyer in place. He died on Calvary. He shed his blood. Right now he's already representing me at the throne room of the Father. And the Bible says that even though the body dies to be dead, here is to be present with the Lord. And there is a future. A lot of people forget that in healing. I mean, I, you don't know how frustrating it is to lay hands on somebody to get healed and they die next day. That really messes up your healing mojo, let me tell you. It's like, wow. You know, put that in the bulletin. Come to church, get prayed for, die the next day. Boy, that'll stack them in the seats. It's 
Some of you are going, I ain't going up for prayer today. There is absolutely not a snowball's chance. The deal is, though, there are people in this room this morning, you're dying on the inside a long time before your appointment. Some of you have sickness in your body that's keeping you from fulfilling the covenant that you and God have together, that are keeping you. There, there, are, there are people in this room right now, your body is so racked with pains that it's almost an habitual thing. And God wants you to know right now that that sickness is keeping you from the fulfillment of His promise in your life, that He has something great for you. And that he wants to heal you, not for your own benefit, but to release you into the kingdom of God. I was driving, I think it was Thursday, I was in the car, and I haven't heard how his his state is, but I know that we had received a call to pray for Pastor Wendell Smith. As he's very, very ill. And I don't know how, I don't know what's been happening, but on Thursday, the Holy Spirit just came in the car and began to pray for Pastor Wendell. I respect him very highly. And, uh, you know, there's always naysayers out there that say, well, so-and-so got prayed for and they didn't get healed. Really? How do you know? My dad was so sick and tired of every third, every other day having to have needles run in his arm and his blood pumped out of his body through a kidney. His nurse was a Holy Spirit charismatic ton talking lady and she explained to me the process of the dialysis one day his nurse after he died his nurse she, she literally spoke at his funeral i had her share some words at his funeral and here's the deal you know what i guarantee you if there was a way we could resurrect pops this morning he'd say put me back because there's no more needles in me anymore. My blood doesn't have to be drained out anymore. And there's this presence that I'm constantly with that is indescribable. Come on. But there are people that need healing because God has a plan for your life. There are other people in this room, you don't believe in God. And you have a sickness. God wants to prove to you He's God. Come on. There's others of you, you've just been called to suffer. We won't get into that one. That doesn't play well either. Next week we're going to talk on those that are called to suffer. Bummer. Jesus didn't indict his his hearers. He offered them an alternative to a failed life, to the dilemma that sin was pushing upon them. I want you to go a second. We're going to jump ahead, guys. We're going to go on the fly here. Second Samuel 9, we're going to wrap it up. I need, where's Jonathan? Go back and do your stuff, buddy. This is to give you hope that it's over. It's not. Second Samuel 9. How many of you, you would agree that there are, there is physical sickness all around us? Come on, how many of you have experienced that physical sickness? By the way, even if you have a cold today, don't be afraid to ask for prayer. Um, flus aren't a joke. And sometimes you might need healing. How many of you know there's even a greater sickness in our culture right now? It's culture, it's the sickness of the mind, the will, and the emotions. Where through either deliberate acts of sin or sin being 
perpetrated and put upon a person. People are broken on the inside. They are hurting. I want the band to come too. We're going we're gonna to get ready. They're hurting on the inside. And I, I want you to know the same Jesus that heals from physical sickness wants to heal people of their brokenness. It's the same principle. By His stripes, you're healed. You hear me? Here is a guy, by, let me tell you about Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is five years old. He is the son of Jonathan. Now, who's Jonathan? Jonathan was David's best friend. How many of you have heard the story of David and Jonathan? I felt God really gave me a revelation yesterday to end this with this morning about David, Jonathan, and Mephibosheth. Because we find Mephibosheth there in 2 Samuel 9, and he believes about himself, but he's nothing more than a dog. He believes that because at five years old, a, a, a nurse drops him. It wasn't his choice to be escaping the army of Israel. It was not Mephibosheth's choice that Saul, his grandfather, had decided to defy God. It wasn't his choice that his... Now listen to this. That his dad, Jonathan... Now catch on. How many of you think Jonathan's a good guy? He was an okay guy. But he was a misguided guy. So what do you mean? Him and David were close. That's right. Here's, here's Saul... And, and Saul's messing up and he's screwing up and he's tearing Israel apart and they're in trouble and Saul's trying to worship and it's not working and things are falling apart and along comes the shepherd boy and, and Samuel shows up and anoints this 16-year-old kid as king over Israel and somehow Saul finds out and he, he starts hunting David down. He's going to kill David one way or another. And, and David gets to know his son Jonathan and they become best buddies, man. They're, they share everything. And, 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 and Jonathan knows. He sees the revelation of God on David's life. But we have only one time, once, does Jonathan stand up to his father, Saul, and say, leave David alone. You know what he does the rest of the time? When it all fell down, I believe God's plan was for David and Jonathan to be a team to rule over Israel. But instead, Jonathan acclimated himself to Saul's palace and the comfort of the palace instead of embracing the revelation of what God had in David. And Mephibosheth was the inheritor of grandpa and daddy's insistence on the ways of the flesh. And war breaks out and the armies of David are coming. And the armies of the enemy, the Philistines, are coming. And the alarm goes off kind of like it did in here this morning when Noah pulled it. And the nurse grabs him up and starts to run and trips and falls. And in an instant, a little boy who was used to running and playing and doing everything is immediately crippled. 
for the rest of his life. That sounds unfair, doesn't it? Before you judge God on that, understand that sin enters by man, not by God. There are people in here this morning, you blame God, you need to back up a second. I'm not going to defend God, but you need to back up because you're going to get, if you want to get healing, you've got to realize it's not God's fault, it's Satan's. And it's people who've walked the path in front, and it's yours. Uh-oh. I mean, I'm broken because it's my fault. You're, if you're broken and you stay broken, it's your fault. In a moment, I'm going to give you a choice to make. Stay broken or be healed. Then who are you going to blame? Well, that is not a very loving. No, that's love. You know how many times a day I come to God and say, Oh, God, what are we going to do about this? He says, Well, I'm waiting for your choice. What? Yeah. You have to make a choice. I, you're God. You make it. No, I'm not going to interfere like that. I want your voluntary love. I want your voluntary obedience. I want your voluntary worship. I want your voluntary giving. I want you to follow me voluntarily. I want you to do your whole life voluntarily doing what I want you to do. Well, my dad was mean to me. He was abusive. He was. And my mom, woohoo! Just come home, my mom be passed out on prescription drugs. You know what that did to a kid who was being quote unquote raised in a Christian home? Yay. Is it my dad's fault about the problems in my life? Is it my mom's fault? Is it my grandparents, my great grandparents, my great great grandparents? It had to come from Scotland. I just know I did. I mean, those people wear skirts, for crying out loud. That had to damage something in here. Oh, it's not their fault. Because there came a point in my life where the Spirit of God says, Today is the day of salvation. Where the Spirit of God says, Choose who you're going to serve. If God is God, then go after Him. If not... What's that got to do with healing? There comes a point when you who are as, feel like you're a dead dog have to come and sit at the king's table. He said, but I am too broken to do that. There are whole churches sometimes that have to come under the table of the Lord. And they're just too broken to do that. How do we get there? You need a Ziba. What? You need a servant who will carry you. And let me tell you, there is a servant in the Scripture. He's called the Holy Spirit. And when you can't make it, He will pick you up and He will carry you to the throne of grace. And there at the throne of grace. You know what was so incredible to me as I was listening to Misty today? These words come out of her mouth. She says, why do you try to get into and enter into a room that you're already in? 
Why do you get try to get into the throne room of grace when you, by Jesus' blood, are already in there? Pastor, I need healing in my spirit. I need healing. I have sinned. I'm broken. I was sexually abused as a child. I was mentally abused. I was verbally abused. I was beaten by a husband. I, 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 was, I, I, I was raped. I mean, these are things that we hear continually all the time. And the church just kind of cowers thinking, how are we going to fix it? We all got to go out and get our counseling degree. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. I was wounded. I was bruised. I was broken. If you let the Holy Spirit carry you to the table and you'll try Him, let me tell you something. He is going to cover your lameness. He's going to cover your brokenness. He's going to cover the things that are ugly to you. He is going to cover them with His grace. There's some, there's teenagers and adults in this house this morning who are blaming parents and friends. And God says, stop it. I want to heal you if you'll just trust me. I want you to close your eyes. I want the worship team.